In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. We have a gigantic show for you today. We're obviously going to cover this morning's dramatic Olympics gymnastics team final, We Simply Must, and the specific weight Simone Biles has had to carry, and we'll contrast that with some athletes who haven't had much of an issue And then I chatted with our friend of the pod, Dr. Natalia Kathuria, and asked her all of your questions about Delta, breakthrough infections, whether we have to put our masks back on inside. And she said yes on the record before the CDC did. We talked to her yesterday and she explained my question for her specifically, because I'm the type of person where it's like, I don't care if I get sick, but I don't want to get other people sick and other other people are the opposite. So she told me exactly what to do as a vaccinated person to make sure I don't get other people sick. So stick around for that at the end. We will wait to discuss the January 6th hearing. Have you guys been watching any of this this morning? A tad, a tad. I have not watched any of it. I read a little description of what had gone down so far, but uh, sounds like a pretty intense morning for the people on the committee. Yeah, I turned it on while I was on a walk just on the radio. And um, I mean, we already know all of this, but I don't really know how Republicans live with themselves. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, it was it's when you see the like CNN before they rolled into the hearing, they had already showed previous interviews with the four officers who are um, testifying, I guess. Yeah. Um. And just like the juxtaposition of like their words with the um, and the video with the words that the Republican politicians are saying, it's like it was like a like a regular meet and greet at the Capitol. It's like just so jarring. It's really and I, th- I think it's Heavy. important to, to hear them, you know, as much as we can. I do, too. I have found so far even paying attention to all of this, that what I'm hearing isn't repetitive. It's still like there are so many things that I'm sure they don't even like didn't even recall from that day that are coming to them. And um, so we'll talk about that in more detail tomorrow as we see how today unfolds. I did see that Elise Stefanik said it was all Nancy Pelosi's fault. So I'm, I'm interested to see her. Explain the riot that. was. Yes. <laughs> Obviously. Mm. I mean, I guess so what in else? That they're pretty angry, like in Nancy Pelosi inflamed sort of an insane anger in the, many of the rioters. Uh, and they have like, an unhealthy attachment and hatred for her, then maybe, yeah. So we're going to start today with the Olympics. This morning, Simone Biles, she withdrew from the team finals, just the team finals at the Tokyo Olympics due to a medical issue. So she left the arena after an awkward landing off her vault. I got up early to watch this. Did you guys? 
No, no. I've been having a very hard time figuring out like when anything is, which is my like mm. perpetual thing with the Olympics. But it's also particularly hard, I feel, when it's in Japan and like this the year, timing is so different. The time difference I'm, killer this year. <laughs> I have not. I, I keep being like, oh, I would love. I, I don't know how to figure out what the schedule of things is. I mean, I'm sure that it's a Googleable thing, but when I do Google it, I get. It, no, it's I don't very find confused. them to be laid out in a way that I understand. And I would really like if someone would just make me a list of like the important to watch. Maybe we should do that. Maybe I'll have them do that. Sometimes I don't know like what the difference between certain things are. There's like, no they, uniformity. Nobody's it's like it's not like everybody's doing local time or everybody's doing Eastern time or Central time. So you you never really know. The Internet has ruined it. The internet has yeah. ruined it because the Olympics in the past, you would just watch, you would just, you just wouldn't know because they wouldn't report or show it until like prime time or inappropriate time. However, because NBC does own, like obviously, as you're doing the Olympics, um, and the Today Show is like one of the most watched television shows of all time. So there, the Today Show is getting the stuff. But I'm like, I'm not awake watching the Today Show at 7:30 in the morning. Like the last couple of United States women's soccer games have started at 4:30. Like, I'm yeah. not, I can't do that. I love, I love them and I want to watch them and support them, but I can't wake up at 4.30. Yeah. I saw a funny TikTok that was like, somebody was like, get my ass up at 4 a.m. to give them my view. So they'll get, so that they can't claim that <laughs> nobody watches women's soccer. And I was like, shit, I should do that. But I told my fiance, I was going to set my alarm to get up at four. And he said, no, you're not, bitch. I will give you money not to do that. <laughs> and you can donate it to the women's soccer player. Yeah. It's super confusing. I feel like the time difference could not be worse that's so funny i guess like thinking about when i would watch the olympics when i was younger during prime time i guess i just always thought everybody started at 8 p.m but you're right it's because we didn't have the internet so like mm -hmm. this year I, i'm glad everyone's on the same page where it's like you, you're gonna get spoiled like you can't mm -hmm. expect yeah. not to know until 8 p.m tonight that simone biles was true <laughs> yeah 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 so according to a USA Gymnastics statement, Simone Biles' quote is withdrawn from the team final competition due to a medical issue. She will be assessed daily to determine medical clearance for future competitions. This event is now uh, complete. The Russian Olympic Committee, which is the name for Russia, this games, literally they get no penalty for doping other than they're called the Russian Olympic Committee, not Russia. Yeah, I was wondering about that. So that's the <laughs> result of their doping thing is that they don't get to be referred to as Russia. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's basically okay. it. <laughs> wow. so, so the ROC uh, claimed it, which I always never feel bad about because it's like, you know, they got a lot riding on it. Literally, I read a quote from one of the team members and she's like, we've been locked in a room for a year and a half to get ready. So I'm very pleased. But, yeah. uh, oh, geez. This came after. So when this was happening this morning, Nobody really knew what was happening. She landed awkwardly, but she didn't really wince or anything, but she left the arena, bandaged up, came back. And then we learned she wasn't going to finish that day's event, but we're not sure yet about the future. At one point, her coach offhand told somebody it's a mental issue. And then we're hearing more that it's a medical issue. Those two things can be the same thing. Um, but this has prompted sort of more discussion about Simone Biles' role this Olympic. She's obviously come to Tokyo with unbelievable weight on her shoulders and this morning's potential injury and withdrawal seemed to kind of bring it all to the surface for her fans and some detractors. 
Um, Simone spoke with NBC's Hoda Kopi afterwards. I can't find a clip of this yet, but she said she's going to play it by ear and that she was feeling fine physically. She feels like she's in shape, but mentally she's playing it day by day. So I don't know, just watching what Simone Biles does. It does seem like it's something that's very dangerous to do if you're not, if your head's not in it. Yeah. And like my, I mean, again, I'm like the epitome of a person who watches the Olympics for five minutes and like starts speaking (laughs) with authority about sports that I know nothing about, but gymnastics is a very mental sport. Um, and it's a very, like, it's a lot of it. I mean, it's your physical prowess, obviously, but there's a lot of like mental concentration that you have to be able to get into to perform at a high level. And it seems like a lot of the quotes from Simone this morning are saying like, she just feel I, she had one quote that she's like, I don't have the same confidence that I did before I get yeah. more anxious. Maybe it's age, whatever, but she, you know, it, it seems to me that she feels like she can't get herself into the headspace to compete at the level that she needs to compete and that she stepped aside, which is, you know, what yeah. else is she going to do? I know that when I used to always do a back dive into my parents' pool, <laughs> that if my head wasn't in it, I would sometimes <laughs> land on my back and it would hurt. Exactly. So I get it. <laughs> exactly. I, exactly, I get it. Brian. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like, you know, when, I mean, I said to you guys this morning, it's like, if I'm having an off day emotionally and I stub my toe, it's over. It is over. Yeah. I fall the fuck apart. And I just imagine maybe it was something like that. Like she landed wrong. She was like, that's it. That's my sign. I'm not doing this today. I'm not doing this today. Well, I mean, you know, she is probably one of the most, if not the most famous American athletes right now. Um, she's everywhere. She, she sees her face everywhere. I know that when yeah. I have like a popular video that's like circulating, I get like ashamed of myself. And that's like the, the least not, not even comparable. So just mm-hmm. like the, the idea of like being an athlete and then like having to be a public person because you are just really good at your sport. Like that's a weird thing to have to wrap your head around because you know, a lot, it's not like you seek gymnastics because you want to be a famous person on social right. media. And, but like now that is just part of part of the course sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about, like, you know, I do think that there's a generational divide where, like, our generation and younger is very like, no, I'm not going to sacrifice my mental health for my job or for athletic prowess or for this or that. Whereas I think, like, prior there was this, like, this real value placed on toughing through it. You know, and I don't think that an athlete would have ever had the place to say in previous Olympics, like, or, you know, I know we're going to talk about Naomi Osaka. She recently, you know, stepped aside for her own mental health recent reasons. And I don't think the athletes would have said that, like even a decade ago would have had the space to be like, I'm mentally not in, in the game, but their mental health is part of their overall health that helps them execute at the level that they're supposed to execute at. Right. Exactly. And I mean, when she withdrew today, it recalled how, like, I think it was 96, but like one of the gymnasts, she performed with a serious injury and she had one event left and she just did it. And that has been held up as like an example of like grinding for your country. But it's like, 
you don't got to grind for your country and sacrifice your body unless you are in the United States military. Like, I don't want to hear <laughs> that she needed to, like, stick it yeah. out for the United States. No, she didn't. She has to have that body forever. Yeah. She, like, you, we could also kind of touch upon this, but, you know, it's the team final. Then there's the... Yes. Uh, all around final and then there's the event final so this is just like the first yeah thing and they won a silver olympic medal they did it i should have said that earlier they did an incredible job i would say that her team surpassed expectations without her this team i was reading this morning i did not know but also now feel like an expert like was sort of arranged around her and like not arranged with the expectation she might not compete and they are incredible and they absolutely rallied and now they have a silver medal incredible yeah it was a lot of her teammates first olympics also and it's just like i mean to perform at a level where the centerpiece of your entire team unexpectedly drops out and you still win silver Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. crazy and some of them made mistakes and like not that it's not okay to fall apart if you make a mistake, but like, and they just were like run up. I gotta go. I, I have no choice but to get it together and move on. And they, yeah, it was incredible to watch. It was really, I'm sure it was more incredible to watch, honestly, than had she done it because there were like some twists and turns. And this morning, I saw a clip of her like telling her team, she was like, "I'm so sorry, but you've got this. This is yours. I've done this. You're gonna nail it." It was very sweet. Yeah, and she was cheering for yeah. them on the sidelines too, which I thought was really like. Yeah, it was very heartwarming. Ultimately, we love our girls. We We love love our gymnastics girls. I hope she is able to compete in the individuals. Um, I'm sure that she probably for her to leave the team, I feel like was probably real even harder than having to withdraw from an individual. But we'll see. She's not she's not guaranteeing it. But in the lead up to Tokyo, Simone Biles, let's talk about like where she's probably out at mentally. <laughs> let's just talk about <laughs> yeah. that among the three of us. Seems like a good thing to speculate about. But in the lead up, she is pretty frank about it. In the lead up to Tokyo, basically last year when these got postponed, she told Vogue earlier this year, she was devastated. She was like, I don't want to deal with USA Gymnastics a minute longer. And now I have to do it for another year. She has been more open about the literal wear and tear on her body. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys the clips going around. Like, I feel like there are actual like types of machines that you have to buy more frequently when you put them through that, like to see yeah. how high she goes and comes down. Yeah. That's why I said, like she has to have that body her whole life. Like she's definitely feeling it. You can sort of tell watching her and, um, She has also said in interviews, and I'm sure you guys have seen some content on this this week, that the reason why she hasn't retired yet is because she is sort of among the most elite gymnasts who survived Larry Nassar's abuse. And she felt like as long as she was attached to USA Gymnastics and she was part of it, that would help with accountability. And I think she's right. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, USA Gymnastics has been so unbelievably shady about that entire situation until like it really became time for them to like, I mean, they abdicated their responsibility in so many ways. Towards crazy. Those girls. It's, it's crazy. Um, and Simone Biles has like really taken up this cause. And I so I just it's really, you know, when we talk about her saying that she feels all like the weight of the world on her shoulders, it's like doubly so, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. now it's not even that she's just like it's the weight of the world on her shoulders as an athlete. It's as a survivor of this very prominent abuser and someone who's integral in holding him and the organization that enabled him to account. 
Yeah. And somebody who just had the same year we did, which was brutal, exhausting, mental health, obliterating. All of these athletes just went through that. I worked out like four times. They were training for the Olympics that whole time. They also, you know, the, you, part of like any amazing experience is the people you share it with and there, no one there, no, none of them are allowed to bring their family or their friends as like, yeah, you know, their support system, because it is a very stressful situation that they're all in. And I'm sure that is missed as well. Did you read that there was like a nursing mother who's not who she wasn't allowed to bring her baby because you can't bring guests? Yeah. Yeah. I have that. So that's a perfect pivot to our next topic because we'll talk about how accommodations have been made for some people and not for others. Yes. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're a certified B cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So that Simone Biles felt a responsibility to push her body to the limit for years longer than she wanted to just to protect her teammates is being contrasted with how other USA athletes are being treated on their way to the games. This story is crazy. So Alan Hadzik is a fencer in the Olympics. He has been accused by multiple women of sexual misconduct and lots. There are just lots of witnesses to this. It's a big deal. It's known in USA fencing. I'll say before we continue, he denies all the allegations. So last month, the body that investigates these allegations, it suspended Hadzik from all international competition, which includes the Olympic Games. 
he probably got his parents probably got him a fancy lawyer to fight that and arbitration and was ultimately allowed to go to the games. But given the allegations, USA fencing created a, quote, safety plan to keep him away from women and out of the Olympic Village entirely. So literally acknowledged that this person posed a danger to his colleagues and the people that have to work around him. This is their job. Yeah, I feel like the easiest way to keep him out of the Olympic Village is to not invite him to come there with you. Mm-hmm. You guys, <laughs> you guys, he's an alternate. He's a what? fucking alternate. So I Googled his ranking and according to the International Fencing Federation, he's ranked 141st. And in- Oh, my God. Carrie Richardson broke the world record in her trials. My I mean- body... I am shaking. Okay. So he gets to go. There's a whole ass safety plan to keep him away from women. He flew on a separate plane. I doubt he has to pay for this. I bet he doesn't have to pay for his own separate flight, his own separate hotel accommodations. He's staying 30 minutes away. He probably doesn't have to stay in a cardboard bed from other athletes. And he's not allowed to practice. And even when he was told that, he said, no, that's not going to work for me. And he appealed those. And the entire roster of Team USA fencers of all genders signed a letter saying, no, 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 no. He's got a, He's not allowed near us. And again, he is an alternate. And the Buzz, BuzzFeed News did a really great report on this, on the background of these allegations, which are, as we said, abundant, incredible, and just really powerful quotes from his teammates who are like, this is the biggest week of my life. And I got to be around this guy and worry about him. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like, if if the team is all against one person, that person should not be on the team. Like, th- how could the team function? If everyone's point. like, this person makes me feel unsafe. I do not want to be around this person. I do not want to be associated with this person. I mean, I wonder what happened in that arbitration. I wonder what they said. Like, we'll sue you for defamation. I don't know. They must have had something pretty threatening to make. I don't know. So just like. How like at what point do you yourself be like? Why do I want to invite all of this press onto Good, myself? Excellent point. You know, like what what are what does he stand to gain as the alternate for I mean, maybe- you know the USA fencing team other than being like internationally famous for being a potential abuser? That's yeah. literally all he's gaining from this. Nothing. No notoriety. None. I've seen alternates who are doing a, they know their assignment. They're like, I'm going to get TikTok famous. I'm going to get Instagram famous. I'm going to use that for partnerships. And that will make me money for a couple of years. Love that. That sounds excellent. I don't think that's what this gentleman is doing. It seems like he's literally trying. I mean, he needs to find a job. He's a hundreds in the world. I don't think fencing is going to work out. Yeah. Even I though mean, here he is. I feel I like I could s- be the hundredth best at something. Come on. And I'm like, I'm like, I mean, give me a sword. I'll see if I can go and like figure this. Like, he's not that good. He's a hundred and whatever. Imagine the poor guy that like is like whatever right after him. Oh man, the way that that guy's like, oh God, the poor ladies have to be around Alan because I couldn't get one extra jab in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I switched instead of flicked. And now this rapist is going to be a I have been enjoying the. the tick the, the Olympian TikTok presence though it's been fun. It's really yes. fun. I have to say it's been fun to watch. Yeah, Alona Mayer. Really fun to be in the Olympic Village. It really does. does. They're making the best of it with COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, the weight of COVID. It's like I mean, 
all of the events just feel like a bummer for everybody sometimes, don't they? It's like until somebody wins, then there's a little emotion. But like, yeah, even just trying to watch the soccer. I mean, I was watching the women's soccer game with New Zealand and like New Zealand did two own goals in an empty stadium. And it was just quite a sad thing to watch. I hope it, I think as we get more advanced in the games, things will get a little bit more animated. Yeah, I I do. It is still the beginning. Sure. Um, but uh, for me, this has been the Clips Olympics. Watching yes. a lot of clips. I mean, no better Olympics to do it. Because I do feel like sometimes I need the crowd, especially in the sports that I don't know that much about. <laughs> I need the crowd's reaction to tell me if it was good. <laughs> if some like what my own reaction to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally. I tried to watch water polo for like five seconds and I got to say, cause I know nothing about water polo. It just looked like a bunch of ladies splashing each other. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's going on. Well, what's crazy about water polo is that they're waiting in water the whole time. Isn't That's that true. Time? Yeah. That's crazy. I can, crazy. I can't do that. I can't do that for five seconds without like losing my breath. That's what me me and Danny were saying. We were like, I was like, I'm impressed, but I can't tell at all what's happening. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. That's such a bummer. It just looks like they're splashing each other. But yeah, when they're actually performing at an extremely high level, like intricately, like playing a sport and swimming and keeping their eye on the ball. But I'm enjoying the addition of skateboarding. Um, Yes. That's cool. So cool. That's pretty cool. The 13 year old girl who won for women's skateboarding. Mm-hmm. The coolest. Yeah. Have you guys watched 13 year olds and a 16 year old who took the medals for the women's? I can't believe that. That makes me even get that fucking creepy fencer away from these kids. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm like, why is yeah. he whatever? Well, no, there's a safety plan. So there's, thank God there's there's a safety plan. have you guys plan. seen any of the speed climbing? It's oh, crazy. No. I thought that I was watching it fast forward, but there's speed climbing and they just look like lizards. It's incredible. That's it's a incredible. new one this year, too. Yeah, exactly. Sport, sports climbing, sports climbing, skateboarding, surfing, yeah. uh, baseball and softball came back for the first time. And then there's one other one. I can't remember what it was. Oh, but yeah, very exciting. Climbing. Always. Yeah. No, I'll put some speed climbing clips up later. I definitely got to meme them. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't even know. I, I truly had no idea. And that sounds completely <laughs> so this makes i mean the fact that this guy got to go with a safety plan i always get a little frustrated myself when i talk a contrast to things that are not necessarily parallel but are they're still enraging and worth talking about like shikari richardson was suspended for cannabis i guess that is a good parallel too like cannabis isn't these things are all happening outside of a court of law or the justice system. So it's like, it's totally, it seems like it's totally up to the teams to decide what to do. Like they didn't have to, they didn't have to let Shikari, they didn't have to suspend her. Like they could have decided not to, they could have, they could have fought harder against the Spencer and said like, come at us, do whatever. They could have put a plan in place to make sure she's not near any weed. Exactly. Yeah. And so let's talk about the um, the nursing as well. So breastfeeding mothers were originally told they could not bring their infants to the games. Um, but the rules around bringing babies and another caregiver, basically, they were loosened after that. Like when people were like, literally, I have my baby's food source. I need to bring them. And so some athletes were able to bring their children, but basically others were like, this is not actually practical. You could bring your, your infant and another caregiver, 
probably your your child's other parent, but they basically had to be completely isolated. So this Italian like volleyball was like, I'm not going to have my daughter and my husband come to Tokyo to stay in a room all the time. They would have to like get tested every day, submit where they were going, every location. And then it would require the athletes to just do a lot of traveling back and forth to even see them such that they were like, I'm going to expose my my teammates. Mm. So it functionally, you cannot bring your infant to breastfeed. And I, and same with, so Becca Myers made headlines last week. She's a deaf and blind Paralympian gold medalist multiple times over was probably going to win a couple more. And they basically said, you can't bring your care assistant. Her care assistant happens to be her mother uh, because of coronavirus restrictions, but she's a a Paralympian. I mean, to not let her have her care assistant is, is that means she's not that's not equality. So I know that the the justification for this is like coronavirus, but it seems like the priorities all around are fucked. Mm-hmm. And it's just frustrating to see. Yeah. Just, yeah. well, I mean, for the Paralympics, that just really doesn't make sense because it, y- you would just assume that like care yeah. assistance would be, it's not optional. Of- and they they right? were like, like they're, they're, they were saying how that they had they had a care assistants for but it would be for thirty two people one so you one care assistant for thirty two people is not a solution no. also like you, you you're trusting this person with your sight and hearing you want to trust the person that you're you're doing that with <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah it just I don't know the solution here and I don't know if it was like have less people qualify for the teams, make the entire game smaller in a way that would have allowed spectators and guests and maybe not as many athletes. I don't know, but like, seems like if you're going to leave somebody behind, it should have been, it should have been Alan, the, the alternate factor. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's that's <laughs> unbelievable. Like if an entire, I just don't understand how you can compete with a team that has signed a letter being like, we don't want to be near this man. I just can't imagine like the stress, just them, because like, I just think if I were like every time I, I would just be mad every day. And then during like mm-hmm. one of the most consequential events that I've been training my whole life for, I'm just pissed because I got to be, I've had to be part of like the weeks leading up to this, trying to keep this predator out. And he's still there. Right. Not a good look. That is our discussion today. Stick around for my interview with Dr. Natalia Kathuria about COVID, masking, breakthrough infections, and everything you need to know. We'll be right back. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's home 
homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Hello, everybody. As promised, I am back with Dr. Natasha Kathuria, an ER physician and global health specialist who has joined us before during particularly alarming moments during the pandemic. And unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess we've had to ask her back. Thank you for your time. Um, wish we saw you under more positive, um, exciting circumstances for a path forward, but it's during pretty intense circumstances. Yes, grateful to be here. And I'm hopeful that one day I will be able to give you some great positive news. But <gasps> I know we'll cover another know, that's topic. Not today. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we'll start pretty broadly. The United States has found itself in, I would say, an unexpected position about seven, eight months after the mass rollout of vaccinations. Only half of the U.S. total population is fully vaccinated, and just under 70% has received a single dose. This is happening as COVID cases have increased 170% over the past week. And I'm sure like as you just watched that number go up and up and up, and now it's over 170%. And 83% of documented cases are now the Delta variant. I want to start, like I said, really broadly. How'd this happen, doctor? <laughs> How'd this happen? Uh, well, I, I think it's what we... It, it's a it's a complicated math equation, I would say. It's, you know, there's multiple factors. I think the biggest factor is that we have not been able to achieve adequate vaccine rates in our country. And not only on a, you know, a countrywide level, that's of course important, but the fact that we have very large pockets that are in certain areas that allows for, you know, some areas essentially have you know, less than 5% vaccination rate in an entire town, which is just, they're getting ravaged right now with COVID. And on the other side of the coin, not only do we have these big pockets of the country that are unvaccinated, but we've got a variant that is significantly more contagious than it ever was when we were very afraid of it in 2020. Now it's way worse. Um, and of course, as we all know, uh, you know, masking has been, you know, taken away as a mandate, We've gone back to normalcy, which we were all very hopeful and actually really happy about. 
And, you know, it just wasn't the time. And now we're trying to dial things back and it just, it's hard to change human behavior. It's hard to give someone something and then take it back away. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my impression is that people are not aware of how much more transmissible and contagious the Delta variant is. I mean, to hear you say that in some pockets, it's 5% vaccination, knowing how contagious this variant is, is pretty shocking. I mean, 40% of cases are coming from three states, Florida, Missouri, and Texas. You practice in, in Texas, where, as I mentioned, you're an ER doctor. Can you, can you tell us what it's like right now? Do you know where those pockets are? Are you treating patients from those pockets? Oh, yeah. And not only do I practice in Texas, but I'm born and raised in Florida and my family lives oh, in wow. Florida. So I have a lot of colleagues out there. You know, my parents are there. So I'm very involved with both states right now. So, I, you know, it, it's been terrible. Um, you know, yeah. one of my mentors, who is the CEO of the hospital in Jacksonville, just passed away, not of COVID, but he was leading the whole COVID uh program out there for the city of Jacksonville. It's just getting wrecked right now. But in Texas, so I work primarily in Austin, um, also in New Braunfels and San Marcos. So pretty much between Austin and San Antonio, those are my two big hubs of hospitals that I work with. And so I'm very aware of those two cities and every city in between. Uh, So it's Texas. You know, we have a very wide range of political views, a very wide range of vaccine hesitancy, very diverse population. Um, You know, it's not as homogenous as I think people think it is. And so we have a lot of vaccine hesitancy, uh, you know, especially as you get further and further outside of Austin um, and you get more into the rural areas, there's a lot more vaccine hesitancy and we have a significant increase in cases. Our hospitals have been at capacity for almost a week now. And it's been very, very difficult to handle for us. Um, It's just very disheartening. And that means, I mean, if your hospitals are at capacity, that means if, you know, if you slip and fall and you have to go to the ER or if your your dad has a heart attack, I mean, those are all everybody in Texas that is close to an area with high degrees of transmission is at more risk right now, right? Exactly. And that's exactly what we worry about with COVID. It's not just what people think think about objectively, which is how many people are dying and how many people are getting sick. What we worry about also, which has been the case in every single surge, is that when hospitals reach capacity and exceed capacity, it doesn't only affect COVID patients. It affects everyone. You don't want to have a heart attack during a COVID surge because you're going to be going to a hospital at capacity with nursing shortages, which we have now, which we didn't have earlier. You know, we've got a lot of issues now that we just didn't have earlier that we're facing now, making it even more challenging to deal with the patients, even if they're less COVID patients. So we've got boarding patients in the ERs. We've got nursing shortages nationwide, certainly statewide in Texas. And it's it's very difficult to kind of keep morale up and really, you know, keep fighting after this long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to talk more about that. You, you said that you're from Florida and you're practicing in Texas and uh, people that are from there. I know, obviously we're seeing this and we're surprised, but I do wonder if you and your colleagues, as you started seeing mass mandates go, as you started seeing that, you know, most of vaccination would rely on people doing it voluntarily. Did you have a feeling like, I don't think people know how much it's going to take to really get everybody in some of these places vaccinated. And it's not, were you starting to worry seeing some, some loosening of restrictions when you anticipated vaccination wasn't really going to be where we'd hoped? 
Yes, uh, absolutely. I was very worried in both Florida and Texas that that was happening. I think everyone knew what would happen. Uh, I just, I think we had higher hopes that we would reach, we would have, we would reach the same percentage of vaccinated people. I just didn't expect that we would have so many large pockets of unvaccinated people. And that's what makes the big problem. And so we kind of anticipated this would happen, you know, when the CDC changed the mask guidelines, they did it based on evidence and just the facts that were presented to them. And they're trying to be very objective, but the truth is like, it's just the common sense that if you go back and you know, you're probably going to hit another surge, there's dialing that back. I mean, for example, Austin, where I live, we just moved to stage four in our COVID protocols because we are at capacity. Our numbers are through the roof. So now we're back to Austin public health recommending citywide people Mm -hmm. wear masks, regardless of vaccines nothing's changed in Austin, you know, everyone's still partying, going to restaurants. I don't see masks. So, you know, you just, it's human behavior. So it's, it's tough. It's a tough hill to climb. Yeah. I'm sure you're interfacing with patients who maybe have a variety of reasons for not getting vaccinated. Would you say, I mean, what percent would you say, do you hear from people who are genuinely just waiting for full approval? I mean, is there anything that is likely to happen that you think could could help us like get over this 50% hurdle and closer to 70, 80 towards what we need for herd immunity? Or do you think misinformation is just going to be a really devastating, insurmountable barrier? So that's actually a really interesting question because I've been faced, I would say in the last three weeks, I've had more I've seen more patients ever that have had COVID that are younger than I've ever seen uh, that are unvaccinated. And, you know, our rates of unvaccinated patients who are hospitalized are well over 95%. You know, it's very unlikely to be hospitalized if you're vaccinated. It's still possible, but extraordinarily unlikely. And so most of these patients are unvaccinated when I see them and I ask them, the answers I get are honestly, it's shocking to me because you know, yes, sometimes there's, you can tell there's just some politicization there and there's a little bit of hesitancy and it's vague answers and they don't want to talk about it. And those are the patients we just know right off the bat, there's no convincing them. They're not going to change their mind. Don't waste your breath. You know, don't upset the patient, just move on there. That's their decision and they're entitled to it, which is fine. But there are also a lot of people, a surprising amount of people who just are literally believe the most absurd things about the vaccine that don't make any logical sense. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the movie, The Social Dilemma. It's like you're surrounded mm-hmm. by these algorithms in our lives that are targeting us with certain people who have like-minded opinions. And so you can get in these little bubbles of very extremist ideas and think that they're very normal and not yeah. know what's on the other side. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because then, you know, I have to have those conversations in an ER, which is not the place you want to be having right, really right. long drawn out conversations with patients because you have a full ER and it's <laughs> upsetting. It's, you know, I mean, it's not upsetting. I feel bad for the patients because they've been so convinced of things that have no logic. Um, they're not even rational fears. And, you know, it's just because the circle that they run in believes that, or they've been given that information in a way that's, you know, very targeting and um, brainwashing. Yeah. That's what, that's what makes me feel sort of, sort of hopeless. Um, 
what do rates, as I was saying, I mean, you're talking about some communities where you're practicing, where there's just so little vaccination. And I literally shudder to think what the past winter would have looked like if we were dealing with, with Delta. I mean, isn't it like, I, I heard that it has something like a thousand percent, like a thousand times the viral load in your nose as, as like OG COVID. What do rates of hospitalization and death look like in the winter when we're all back inside again, if vaccination rates don't increase and variates, variants continue to spread? Yeah. So what we, we certainly worry about new variants. Uh, I don't think we anticipate a new variant is going to take hold anytime soon. Not for this surge. Oh, great. But what, what a refreshing. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. We already got a terrible one. I mean, we, we already yes. had a new variant, the Lambda variant, be, right. uh, you know, come up in Houston. And we're not very concerned about that because Delta's already taken hold. It's difficult for another virus to compete with a virus, uh, a variant got that's it. already taken hold. But it's seasonal, right? So we the surges usually don't tr- go through seasons. You know, you have a surge in the summer here that same surge is not, it's going to die down and then it will come back. At that point, we worry that, you know, in the fall and winter, we might see another variant. And will that variant be more dangerous? Will it be the Delta Plus variant that we're kind of seeing come out also in India? Will it be something Mm -hmm. else? And, you know, even in places like this in Austin, it's a very progressive, very, it's the most educated city in Texas. It's, you know, very forward thinking. People are very you know, eager to get vaccines. And even in a city like this, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy, but it's not, it's not astronomical. It's not compared to Florida. It's not compared to Missouri. It's not compared to the other cities I work in in Texas. And we're still seeing it really attack unvaccinated people. And it's just more proof that if you're unvaccinated, eventually that virus is very likely to infect you, even if you're not in a pocket that's unvaccinated. And so we worry about that. And we also see that this time there are younger people ever being affected by COVID. A lot of pregnant women um, are getting Uh, critically ill with COVID and it's leading to a lot of ICU babies that could have had normal healthy pregnancies. And now they're born premature. Their lungs aren't fully developed. They're critically ill because mom didn't want to get vaccine. And now these babies are suffering. And so you know, we're seeing a lot that we didn't see initially. Initially, the narrative, which is what we were seeing, was that this is a disease that's going to kill our grandparents. You know, the elderly right, are right. dying. Protect the elderly. Why don't we care about the elderly? And it's hard to reverse that narrative and really convince those who are in their 20s and 30s and 40s to get vaccinated when the predominant cases right now are in those 20 to 50 years old. It's not mm-hmm. those 70 to 100 years old, which right. we were seeing before. Yeah. And I think that one of the ways, I mean, we're still learning more about breakthrough infections, but one of the ways we know that they're not that common is because I believe the group of people that is most vaccinated are the people above 65 and they're doing great. Like they're not getting a ton of infections because they're the most densely vaccinated, right? Exactly. So the elderly 65 and above, I mean, did a phenomenal job. I wish I could give them all a gold medal because they did an amazing job. Thank God to protect themselves and they got vaccinated. They took this seriously because it affected them. But what happens for us, for younger generations, which we're seeing, it's just, it's natural. I think just human behavior of a human being, we naturally care for our young before our elderly and we don't fear things that affect the elderly. You know, that's why people don't take preventing heart attacks and strokes that seriously, because it seems so remote. It's not, it's long-term chronic issues. It's not going to affect me. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to still go to McDonald's every day. Right. But things that affect children and young people, 
I mean, that's when we see America get religious. And I mean, religious, right. You know, with yes. polio, when we had polio as a threat in America and Dallas, they vaccinated 90% of Dallas in 48 hours. Can you believe that right now? We're it's at unbelievable. a year and a half of, you know, of this a pandemic. We've had vaccines since December and we're like begging people now to go get vaccinated. And it's, it's pretty shocking. It's just because they don't, the narrative of it affecting the young has not, we can't reverse that narrative. It's really difficult to change. You know, then people think that we're making up stories about the virus when in reality, right. the virus is changing and, you know, dynamics of the virus and public health are changing. Yeah. As much as it is wonderful that people have access to so much information on the internet and stuff, it like does seem like at that time when you mentioned, it's just like, you just had to say to people, this, the doctors say you get your vaccine and then you're like, all right, I got it. And then I think it happened in, in New York city too. Over the course of two days, they vaccinated the entire city. So if we have another situation in the winter, that is really intense. Um, we're already hearing about nurses just just abandoning the medical field. We're hearing about doctors getting terrible burnout, really intense mental health challenges. So to me, when I think about another indoor season where we're approaching the thousand death a day number for a prolonged basis, I mean, what does that do to you and your colleagues over the long term? What does that do for morale? What are like the, you know, decade plus ramifications of putting people through this for years now? Oh, oh my gosh. I can't even think that far. I'm really hoping that yeah. doesn't happen, but I'm really anticipating that probably will happen um, at least through this winter. Uh, so I think we are getting used to the ebbs and flows, the waves that come, the waves that go. I think uh, from a physician standpoint, you know, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself as an ER doctor and all of my colleagues, you know, I mean, our job is to take care of, I mean, you know, we're used to That's surgeries true, yeah. of all kinds, you know, we, yeah. you know, I mean, infectious disease, trauma, mass casualties. I mean, that's our job, right? We love it. We love being there and being in the fire and helping people during catastrophes. And when things are the worst, I think what we worry about is working through a pandemic that could affect us, which it can, wow. you know, there's not perfect protection from this vaccine. So the fear and the PPE and all of that is just draining. And a lot of nurses have left. There's a lot of nurses that have taken travel jobs and left their home hospitals. There's been a lot of nurse burnout and they've, you know, put a lot on the line and given so much. And now they're just exhausted. So I think it's going to be, it's so challenging right now because we're dealing with the surge with extreme nursing shortages in every level of the hospital. I'm really hopeful that by the end of summer, you know, we have increased nursing capacity and we can do better, but yeah, no, I mean, the longer this goes, the more, the more we devastate the medical community who's been, I mean, we've been in it every single yeah. day now. So right. we're just hoping for light and we keep thinking we see it and we're like, Oh my God, are you kidding? I me? know. <laughs> so to, to pivot to break flow infections, I know our audience is probably mostly vaccinated and everybody I know what I'm thinking is I don't want to cause any harm, even a small amount of harm. Um, why might mask wearing become or why has mask wearing become necessary for the vaccinated either again or maybe you can argue it never wasn't? Who, who are we who are vaccinated people protecting while wearing masks? Yes. Yeah, so I think that's a really great thing to talk about. Um, so 
first I'll talk a little bit about breakthrough infections in general. So the breakthrough infections are something that we knew were going to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And we also knew that, you know, putting out these blanket statements about efficacy with the vaccine early on, we're going to backfire a little bit and people are going to be like, oh, you told us it was 90 something percent effective. And now we've got all these people getting infections. Um, Nothing has panned out differently than we anticipated in terms of hospitalization and death. So what we have seen based on our data from Israel, we've seen from Oxford, we've seen several studies, country-specific studies come out. Um, And there was actually just a discussion earlier this morning out of LA for our emergency medicine uh, academic group that was just delivered. So I was just on there. But um, the information is that pretty much what's changed with the Delta variant that we didn't see with Alpha is that one dose of the Pfizer vaccine, for example, had the, the efficacy has dropped significantly. So one dose is only 30% effective against symptomatic disease, not hospitalization, not death. I'm just talking about cold yeah. symptoms. Like mm-hmm. I have a runny nose and cough. I'm fine. You know, I feel down yeah. and tired. We don't care about those for the individual. On an individual level, we don't care at all. It's like the common cold. Right. But when it comes to the two doses, so somebody actually completes their doses you know, the efficacy jumps up to the 80s, even for symptomatic disease. And that's remarkable. And that's the Delta variant only. I'm only talking about the Delta variant. There are still other variants circulating. So that's remarkable, even for symptomatic disease. But as you can imagine, on a scale of millions, you know, that leaves 20% of those people potentially getting infections. That's a pretty big number. And, you know, that's, that's also normal. Like we see that with influenza vaccine with every, I mean, so many viral infections. Yeah. So that's important to understand for everyone that the vaccine is not going to give you a perfect shield. It's kind of like a raincoat. Um, That analogy has been used a lot. It's like you wear a raincoat, it's drizzling. You're probably not going to get wet. You wear a raincoat and you run through a hurricane, you're going to get wet. Um, And then you're, you know, the raincoat's not going to do much for you. And it's the same thing with the vaccine. If you're not wearing masks, if you're fully vaccinated, you're not wearing masks, you're doing high risk activities, which is parties, indoor dining, indoor, like, you know, house parties, close get togethers with 20 people. Frequently, it's only a matter of time before you're probably going to get a breakthrough infection, your frequent exposures. And that's okay for the individual. And Mm -hmm. I want to make that clear. I know a lot of people get panicked. Oh my God, I'm vaccinated. I got COVID. But what it's not okay for is the public health perspective, which is you can still spread that virus, especially when you're symptomatic. Yes, your viral shedding is significantly less if you're vaccinated than if you're not. So it's still extremely important to get vaccinated, um, but you will still spread it. And this is a much more contagious variant. So Masks are important now all over again, especially in pockets where case counts are high. Um, And we want to pay attention to the case counts more than the hospitalizations because that's showing active transmission. Um, That's the first indication that things are going to get bad. So if your city has a high case count, if the case positivity rate's high and your public health department should be putting out warnings about masks and guidelines, whether or not they enforce them, but it's important to know as we get into, well, we're in summer now, but as the colder months come around, a lot more indoor activities, the, you know, the, the likelihood of transmitting that virus goes up, not because it's more mm-hmm. contagious in the winter. This is not a seasonal virus, but because human behavior changes in the winter. Got it. Got it. So if, if people decided that they wanted to start masking indoors again, I mean, 
what would what would need to happen for us to no longer need to do that vaccination? Because we're still doing the same. I mean, people are back to normal. There's, it seems like they're still going to do the thing. So if we were, what are we waiting for at this point to feel like we could, you know, resume those activities that have become high risk again, just greater vaccination rates? Greater vaccination rates. And it's really dependent on a count. I would say county by county uh, well, case situation. So, you know, just because there's a surge happening in New York City doesn't mean L.A. needs to go on lockdown or something. And mm-hmm. I think we need to get used to that in America like they have in other countries, which is being flexible and being able to dial things yeah. up and down like a light switch, like a, you know, a dial and not on and off like a light switch, which is, mm-hmm. hey, the cases are going up, you know, just like we've announced in Austin. And the hope is that, OK, business owners will pay attention. They'll start asking for masks again until we get through this wave then we can dial back down, see how things go. It's not something that's going to stay there consistently. We've not seen a single city go through a surge and then just hold on to that surge for months. So I think it's just something that we need to be flexible with and be not be so complacent with, which are, you know, unfortunately we have become. Yeah. It makes me wonder if like the July 4th independence day was really the best framing or like in the UK, they did like a freedom day, but that really makes people think like we're going and then I'm never going back as opposed to just because you feel like in your area, it means you want to mask up to grocery shop for the next couple of weeks. Doesn't mean that's, that's permanent. I like, yeah, I think that's important to note to watch. Um, people aren't loose used to, I think having to like look out locally as much, and this is definitely testing that, but thank you so much. I feel really, really reassured. And, uh, like we do have a path. I hope there's light at the end for, for your sake and everybody's sake. Thank you so much again for being so generous with your time. Of course, anytime. And I hope all your listeners stay safe. You guys are all awesome. And I know you're all doing the right thing. So yes, you're not people I worry about, but <laughs> good. we do We do have a lot in Texas who are just furious. So they'll be happy to, to hear from you that you're doing all you can until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Up podcast. The Betches Sub podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.